Part 1. What next for vector-based vaccines? Vector-based vaccines on the way out? Since posting our previous keynote, number 69, in which we detailed our concerns about vector-based vaccines, more specifically AstraZeneca, as the possible cause of thrombosis, more material has come to hand explaining why there are significant, though rare, side effects, including death. These concerns have led to many countries restricting the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine, at least for certain age groups. They have taken this decision despite the European Agency, EMA, standing by its continued unrestricted approval. The relevant materials include records of thrombosis cases, including the incidences of sinus vein thrombosis that are of special interest for us. What is characteristic is the timing of these complications. On average, they manifest themselves a few days after vaccination. For example, in the case of a 39-year-old nurse in otherwise excellent health, the fever, chills, and nausea set in five days after her vaccination. Indeed, young women in peak health seem to be the high-risk group. The nurse's lung and liver veins became clogged with thick blood clots. The hospital tried to save the patient with coagulation inhibitors, but they were unable to get the clotting system under control. The thromboses then spread to the arteries, and within one day of displaying the first symptoms, the young woman passed away. Across all the countries where the vaccine is in use, we estimate that there are in the region of 100 such cases, with most of the victims being female, almost all of them without major risk factors, and some of whom have sadly died. A closer inspection of the records reveals that, in some individuals, the AstraZeneca vaccine triggers the formation of antibodies which attack a certain protein in the blood. This is because the chimpanzee virus, which transports the blueprint for the specific corona protein to the body's cells, binds to this particular factor. Once the antibodies have found their target, they activate the platelets, which in turn activate other platelets and trigger a kind of chain reaction, causing the clot to grow and grow. At some point, the affected vein is blocked, and the blood starts to back up at the point of constriction. This causes blood pressure inside the skull to rise, which is why most victims report steadily worsening headaches at around the 5-7 to day mark. The immune system needs some time to produce the antibodies. If the affected individuals do not obtain medical assistance, the pressure increases. As a result, the nerve cells start to fail. This becomes noticeable in the form of numbness or epileptic seizures. At some point, the vessels rupture with potentially fatal consequences. We are working on the assumption that the probability of forming such antibodies is strongly related to a natural predisposition. In the two most recent keynotes, we mentioned a specific polymorphism of the factor V Leiden gene, which increases the overall tendency to thrombosis. We strongly suspect that other genes play a role in this specific case. Here at Salvagene, we are intensifying our research into this topic. We discussed the hormonal aspect in our last keynote. One of the decisive factors is the relative youth of those affected. There is an obvious explanation for this. As we grow older, the response of our defense cells to stimuli gradually weakens, and that includes the stimuli that come from vaccination. Diseases, such as shingles, are therefore primarily a problem of retirement age. The immune system loses the ability to keep the lid on a chickenpox virus that has been lying dormant in the body. This is not the only reason why many countries are now offering the AstraZeneca vaccine exclusively to seniors. Apart from the rare side effects, such as thrombosis, there are also the well-known acute vaccination reactions, and these tend to be weaker in older people. The purpose behind vaccination is to train the individual cells to respond more quickly to individual pathogens. It is worth reminding our listeners at this point that the AstraZeneca vaccine offers immense benefits, but at the same time it poses something of a risk for younger people. 
It succeeds emphatically in making some vaccinated people feel the effect all over their body. The vaccine teaches the immune cells to respond more quickly to individual pathogens. The AstraZeneca vaccine does this very well, in combination with the previously mentioned increase in T-helper cell production. Approximately half of recipients complain of fatigue the following day, and a similar number report headache, muscle pain, and feeling sick. One in three complains of increased temperature or fever. Nausea and joint pain can be expected in about one in five. The cause of these problems is mainly that old acquaintance of ours, the interferon messenger substances. All premium clients will know that we regularly monitor the epigenetic makeup of the interferon family because its members have a considerable influence on whether and how we respond in the event of an infection. We recommend that our premium clients read Keynote number 64, which discusses interferons in greater depth. Interferon is secreted by defense cells, such as monocytes, as an alarm signal when they detect a foreign pathogen, such as the vaccine virus. The messenger substance is also used in medicine against hepatitis pathogens because it activates the self-defense system of body cells. That is why its side effects are well known. In the brain, for example, the hormone adjusts the internal thermostat so the body temperature rises to fever level. The problem arises when a healthy person is vaccinated. Normally, the interferon receptors are highly active, something we aim to achieve in our COVID-19 immunization program, and they send a strong enough alarm signal to call forth a rapid response to the pathogen. Because the AstraZeneca vaccine performs this activation directly, there is virtually an oversupply of the various interferon families in the case of a younger person. This is the main reason for the side effects. Conversely, it means that these side effects of vaccination are more likely to be felt by younger people in particular, because their interferon system is more active than that of older people. This vindicates the recommendation that we have been making for some time that the AstraZeneca vaccine should be reserved for older recipients. It has been empirically proven that seniors experience significantly fewer side effects with the vaccines. The younger the recipient, the less he or she is able to tolerate vaccination. The problem becomes more acute with individuals who are prone to autoimmune diseases. They need to be monitored even more intensely after vaccination, if there is a clear overreaction and a considerable activation of the interferon system, to see whether they develop autoimmunological reactions in the long term, up to and including multiple sclerosis. In the coming weeks, we will be reporting at greater length on long COVID. As we are now just over one year into the pandemic, we have a lot more data at our disposal. We forecast that long COVID is going to be a big problem. For example, one to two weeks of machine ventilation can cancel out 30 years of regular exercise and good nutrition. So once again, we have to stress the risk that infection can have very serious long-term effects. As we indicated in our previous keynote, number 69, it remains unclear whether sinus vein thrombosis is a problem specific to the AstraZeneca vaccine. Vector-based technology increases susceptibility to thrombosis anyway, as has been known for a long time. There is consequently a possibility that the vector-based vaccines as a group may lead to thrombosis. There have already been several cases reported to both the FDA and the EMA concerning the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and a number of deaths are also being investigated in this regard. Furthermore, cases of so-called capillary leak syndrome are also being investigated in connection with Johnson & Johnson, As we go to press, it has been reported that the FDA has withdrawn its approval for this particular vaccine. We will certainly continue to monitor developments here, and we will go into further detail in the second part of this keynote, number 70. In particular, what is going to take the place of the second AstraZeneca jab for individuals who are in the at-risk age group? This affects several hundred thousand people in Europe alone. 
It also accounts for the provisional decision by the U.S. government to give its stock of 20 million doses of AstraZeneca to third-world countries. Sputnik V, which is also a vector-based vaccine, has some advantages in terms of design. However, we would wish to emphasize once again that too little data is being published. Several governments outside Russia have taken the plunge and are deploying the vaccine out of sheer desperation, unwisely in our view. There has only been one published set of data so far, with no further data or analyses following since. There have also been reports of problems with the quality of the product. For example, the authorities in Slovakia claim that the vaccine supplied does not have the properties as described in the scientific journal Lancet. There even seems to be some politicking going on here. For the time being, therefore, Sputnik V does not seem to offer the way forward either. The problems that have been identified reinforce the view that mRNA vaccines are the better alternative. Pfizer has started the application process to get approval for a project that will test the effectiveness of its vaccine in the 12 to 15 age group. We think it unlikely that approval will be forthcoming for use with this age group before the beginning of next year. The Moderna vaccine is on par with the BioNTech vaccine, but has the drawback that considerably less data has been published. In particular, we have seen far fewer results regarding efficacy against the new mutations than from BioNTech. The next vaccine in the mRNA pipeline is CureVac. We expect that it will be licensed in Europe in mid to late May. This is highly significant because CureVac is the only vaccine that has had to go through clinical phase 3 while the current crop of high-risk mutations have been out there in the community. Consequently, significantly more time will be required and, of course, the bar will be set correspondingly high. As we said on a previous occasion, if the vaccines currently available were to go through phase 3 clinical trials at this stage, we would not expect any of them to clear the approval hurdle. On this basis, if CureVac is approved despite the handicap described above, it will qualify as the best vaccine option. The reason why we consider it necessary to emphasize the clear advantage of CureVac is that the latest high-risk mutations pose a completely different challenge to the active ingredient of the vaccine. Take, for example, the newly discovered French gene mutation, which has a very complicated profile because it is difficult to detect by means of a PCR test, a drawback that works in favor of the virus. It is not due to the quality of the sample material, but to the capacity for this viral variant to migrate at a much faster rate into the lower respiratory tract, making it very difficult to detect. We also see the potential for a possible switch of platform in the future, because there are very big similarities between CureVac and BioNTech, and both companies extensively share data, despite being commercial rivals. In theory, we also see the possibility of a platform switch with Moderna, if this were to prove necessary. The studies on this are already underway, and we will report a greater length in Part 2.